Hi, this is Richard A. Knack, author of Black City Saint, and you're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. Our guest today is the New York Times best-selling author of nearly 50 novels and short stories, including both original novels and a long list of titles in shared story worlds, including Warcraft, Diablo, Dragonlance, Age of Conan, and his own Dragon Realm series. He's also scripted a number of manga comics and written background material for games. His first story was published in 1987, and now he's published worldwide in many languages. His latest novel, Black City Saint, was released March 1st from Pyre Books. The Grim Tidings podcast welcomes Richard A. Knack to the show. Richard, thanks for hanging out today. Thanks for having me. I was pretty hyped when I found out you were going to be on the show because uh, your your book, The Legend of Huma, was the reason I started reading fantasy. It's the first fantasy book anyone ever recommended to me. So I, di- I didn't cool. start off with The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or anything like that. Legend of Huma was my gateway drug into fantasy so thank you very much for <laughs> introducing me to this wonderful world of fantasy and i really appreciate it listen i appreciate it I, I mean i have heard this before from people and i appreciate every time i hear it because i've always said without the readers i wouldn't be able to do what i love doing as much you know i guess i could always write my own stories but um, you know it's here to hear from people i mean i still i always so much appreciate it yeah a lot of folks have uh, you know tolkien or um Maybe C.S. Lewis is their gateway drug into the fantasy brand. But yeah, it must be very cool to, to know that you have uh, introduced um, readers to the fantastic world of, of, of fantasy fiction. So that's very cool. But also Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I would have never started playing Dungeons and Dragons if it wasn't for... <laughs> Are you going to blame me for that? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you basically ruined Phil, Richard A. Nack, so. <laughs> I, uh, no, that's, that's What's funny is that uh, over the years, um, I've, I've talked to different people and... You know, they they said they grew up on Legend of Huma or the beginning of the Dragon Realm or something. Or and uh, these people, you know, some of these people have actually have actually uh, hired me for projects. So I was like, occasionally I've been raising my own uh, employers, which is always <laughs> interesting. So, well, no doubt you've had made an uh, impact in the industry. It's almost been 30 years since your first story was published, but uh, we're here today to first talk about. Black City Saint came out March 1st from Pyre Books. It's uh, kind of billed as like a noir urban fantasy, 20s Chicago sort of mashup, and people are really digging it so far. Even Brian Stavely tweeted and said it's jammed, packed with awesome, lots of cover blurbs. People are really excited about it. Black City Saint, as, as you said, it takes place in the roaring 20s Chicago, a time period I understand, I've studied fairly well having grown up in the Chicago area. In addition to all of the elements of the Prohibition area, I've also uh, combined uh, a legend that's always been a, a fondness of mine, and that's uh, St. George and the Dragon. And it will come as no, no shocker to discover that, uh, the main, that Nick Medea, the main character, is actually St. George uh, 1,600 years later. And uh, yes, he did slay the dragon, but it didn't quite go well as planned. And uh, he, is, he and the dragon are one right now. And in fact, the dragon was actually guarding the gate between our world and fairy, which is not some little happy land of elves and stuff. And uh, because of that, Nick has become the guardian of the gate, following it through the world wherever it went until, because of circumstances that you'll find out in the book, it got sealed in, near, in Chicago. Um, and it's been that way since, uh, uh, since just before the, uh, the Great Chicago Fire, which, think about having a dragon involved, you can imagine where that might have happened. Uh, (laughs) meanwhile nick has been trying to all this time trying to make sure to keep the elements of fairy uh especially the wild uh, with the y uh which are the the darker and more 
rebellious elements uh, from creeping into the real world and also keeping for some, some ambitious uh, human activity from stretching the other direction, too. Uh, and so, unfortunately, um, he's had some really bad circumstances in that time. And one of the, one of the uh, elements that he thought he had dealt with a long time ago is returning to haunt not only him, but the reincarnation of the woman he loved, who, unfortunately, every time she's been reincarnated, has died violently. So there's quite a few things going on in Black City State, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, what I've said. Yeah, I've definitely uh, started reading it uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, really enjoyed what, I, what I've read so far. And as I told you before the show, I was in the middle of reading it on the train and it, the sample came to an end and I was like, ah, I want to read more. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely an awesome uh, beginning to this world and very excited to see uh, what what's next. One, one nice thing with the, with the novel also, I, in addition to, to Nick and the, and the dragon element, you know, I do, I've do. i also definitely uh, added the uh, fairy element into the, the Prohibition time. So you've got, you've got uh, gangsters and you've got uh, Oberon, king of the fairies, and you've got, uh, you've got the, the uh, exiles, who some of whom helped Nick, such as uh, uh, a fan favorite, uh, Fetch. It looks like, like a mix of an Irish wolfhound and a, and a wolf, but is actually a shapeshifter who's stuck in the shape because he doesn't have enough magic in this world unless he's nearby Nick. And then only then can he talk. He, he likes our world, so he's trying to learn all the latest uh, colloquialisms, which makes for uh, him an interesting combination of old English and uh, contemporary American uh, when he talks. Uh, um, you know, there's quite a few characters involved. There's, and then there's Kriveak, who, ha, who is an elf who's converted to Christianity, which makes for a strange element, too. It's, it's, um, and, and his secrets that he has to deal with in terms of helping Nick. So I was able to blend it nicely, I think, and, uh, and based on what the people have said, uh, it's been working well for them, too. Yeah, I'm just getting except more excited to go finish the book the more and more we discuss all the elements. Now, the story itself is set in your hometown of Chicago. I imagine it was probably a pretty great experience to use some of those familiar places in the setting for Black City Saint. Oh, yeah. I have delved once or twice way in the past with stories that take place in Chicago. Um, that They were more contemporary, though. And uh, this way, you know, I these these are elements that uh, I, I read about and always known about. And, but it, it, there's still a familiarity because, you know, some of these things still exist. Obviously, a lot of the legends and stories about that time period are still very relevant. You know, I mean, Chicago is a much more peaceful city these days. <clears throat> it's, it's, I mean, it's a good, it's a really good city, though. It's got some wonderful people, wonderful places, and and whatever elements I can fit in there. And it's very st- uh, storied history. It it just adds more depth to it, and I've been I've been really enjoying doing that. In fact, while doing that, you know, I've I've come across things I couldn't even fit in the book, even though they would have made for such a nice edition. But it just was too much. Otherwise, I would have had like a a two thousand page novel. You know, <laughs> I'll leave I'll leave those to George R. R. Martin. <laughs> so you're you're dealing with a, a noir setting, which is interesting because we were just talking about on our we have this Facebook group called. Uh, grimdark fiction readers and writers and they were asking about what would be a good setting to put kind of a dark fantasy story in and uh, no one really came up with 1920s Chicago but that's it's an awesome setting to put uh, a fantasy world in um, do, you, do you feel this book has more of a noir feel to it for noir fans or is it more of a uh, oh, fantasy heavy. You know, it has definitely a noir feeling in it. It, it definitely does. Um, I, I tried to pattern Nick. Uh, it's his first person from Nick's point of view. So I tried to pattern it based on the noir novels and films that I've always enjoyed. 
uh, but especially with the novels, you know, the first person, so you can get, you know, get an idea of what's going on in his head, which is very important in the story. And actually, by getting into his head, you also get into his relationship with the dragon. Um, but I enough about that. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, no, I, th- I think it's definitely got a good noir setting. In fact, from what I've seen of the reviews, most people have, have caught on to that right away. While it has the fancy elements, it's definitely, it was definitely uh, something that I think a lot of noir people would like. Now, typically, your novels have been like epic fantasy or, or dark fantasy. Mm-hmm. Has, is this your first foray into urban fantasy, so to speak, or have you done it before? I, I've done it a couple of times way, way in the past, but not in the depth that I did in this one. I mean, those stories were interesting themselves, but they were a little bit more fantasy-oriented than fantasy-noir mix. They did, They just basically took uh, um, Chicago, the modern Chicago, as a setting and then, uh, ran, away, then ran amok with the fantasy elements even more so, you know, one of them might be called science fantasy that I did, but uh, this is, there's, I've done nothing like, nothing to the extent that I've done with Black City Saint. This to me uh, is a new level for me, and uh, that's why I'm so happy that people have enjoyed it. What uh, kind of inspired you to go with, with that direction of urban fantasy? Just needed a change, or was something specific that inspired it? Well, I mean, I enjoy uh, epic fantasy, and I still write epic fantasy, but um, I, like I said, I've always liked urban fantasy of different sorts, and uh, um, I read, uh, I, I knew Laurel Hamilton when she wrote her first uh, book in her Anita Blake series, you know, uh-huh. St. Louis stuff there. You know, the Guilty Pleasures was the book. And um, I knew she was going to do good with that when I read it. God. Uh, and I've, <laughs> She's done okay since then. <laughs> unfair. Yeah. I, people, some people still remember her name. <laughs> uh, no, she, she's been doing, doing great. Um, yeah. And, uh, and there, there's been other series that I've read over, the, over time. And, and I've always also enjoyed many you know, TV shows and movies that have that sort of setting, too. And it just made logical sense that, that eventually I would come back and do something, but I needed the right uh, impetus. And then when I finally started started mixing the um, the story of St. George with this, I, I, it was a combination that was, I thought, unique enough, yet blended so well together with what I was planning that uh, I had to write this book. Uh, I just had to. As, as far as um, gangster movies, I, I grew up uh, being afraid of those because my dad used to watch them. Like the, there's the scene in The Godfather where uh, somebody gets shot in the face or something, and I, I remember I remember crying. Like I went to bed and I cried because I was so upset. Um, and and like Goodfellas is a movie I've seen over and over and over again. And, uh, I love that one. Do Do you feel like it has that kind of flavor to it at all, or is it more? Well, of a, I don't think it's quite that violent. No, uh, okay. <laughs> it might be a little bit toward the Untouchables, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. But uh, I mean, there's some there's some uh, Definite uh, scenes in there that uh, get a little bit dark. I, I, it's, it's really more like the like the old, uh, um, I would say, Dashiell Hammett sort of novels, you know, oh, okay, yeah. where you don't have to go you don't have to go glo- you know gory violent to get the the, the violence across, but you still mm-hmm. get that feel of uh, the time period of what's going on. You know, it's uh, you know it's, it's just it's, it's a line. You know, it depends on, on the author of. Uh, of uh, what uh, you know, what you do, and uh, that's my choice. I think I, I think I bring something that uh, people who enjoy uh, noir novels, who enjoy the you know the pulp sort of uh, dash Lamb sort of things, as I mentioned, uh, would also enjoy. Um, so you know, it's like I said, trying to balance, bring different things in there. You know, is this your first uh, time collaborating and, and working with with Pyre as your publisher? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, my first one with Pyre. Um, I'd seen their, you know, I'd seen their work before. Yeah, you know, a lot of the stuff they come out with, I really liked. I always thought that um, they had some excellent covers, and oh, say yeah. right now that uh, 
that uh, they gave me an excellent cover. And I'll talk a little bit, we'll talk a little bit more about that particular cover in a moment. But um, I, I, they, they, I, was, I very much respected uh, their line. They're, you know, they're, they're, not the, they're not the largest publisher, of course. They're not like Simon Schuster or Random House. But uh, they put out quality, and that's what, I, in my opinion, and that's what I really liked about it. And, and um, Lou Anders was 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 the the director there for a while, and then Renee Renee Sears, who worked with him, is now is is my editor there. She's a direct she's a director there now, and uh, I think she and I are very much in sync, and I really respect her and the entire Pyre slash Prometheus books brand group of people. Um, I have to say, like I said, they, they have done an exceptional job, and there are times when I wish some of my bigger publishers could have done as much. Yeah, that cover is pretty impressive as well. You know, the, you know, the secret about that cover, and this is fascinating, that, this, this was, was what was once called a placeholder cover, meaning mm. they would make this, you know, one of those temporary covers you put in online until they got the final artwork. But, oh. Yeah, but everybody was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, and I was like, wow, this is great. And I go to Renee, can we keep this? And she's going, I like this too. Let me see if we can keep. It. And, and uh, they talked to a couple of the, the 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 distributors and stuff, and they're all like, yeah, we really like this cover. And so we're like, okay, we'll just add, we'll just add uh, the blurbs to it, and we'll keep it. And then, uh, you know, you, you know, my, my you know my compliments to uh, to uh, the art designer and uh, to everyone else there. You know, like I said, great great job all around. Uh, but uh, it's just like placeholder cover turns out to be better than a lot of other covers. You know, so. Does that happen often? Where no, uh, no. <laughs> rare, rare no I had a couple of funky placeholder covers in my life. <laughs> and speaking speaking of Pyre, um, they've been generous enough to give us four copies of Black City Saint to give away on the show. Right. So we're going to have folks uh, just email us. This is only open to U.S. and Canada. Sorry, rest of planet Earth. Uh, but for U.S. and Canada, uh, go ahead and email us at grimdarkfiction at gmail.com. Subject line is Black City Saint. Go ahead and put in your name and address, and we'll pick four random winners at the end of April. So by April 30th is the deadline to enter. But we're going to give away four damn copies of Black City Saints, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> what are your plans for this series? Is the trilogy? Is there a book too? What 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 do we have on, on deck? Well, this is uh, this would be an ongoing series if I can have my way. Um, and actually, I just ag- I just uh, d- agreed yesterday with with uh, Pyre for a sequel. So that we're definitely going on to the next book. It delves into a piece of history in Chicago, a very dark piece of history, which I didn't know myself until recently. But I, of course, am going to give it a different spin in some ways. We're going to learn more about, uh, we're going to delve deeper into um, Clarice, because, you know, I had to kind of give her a little bit of a backseat in some ways to, to bring in other things. We're going to see more of, of uh, the relationship between uh, Nick and the dragon. Obviously, we'll see more of Fetch and Kravak. And a little bit of what's going on in Chicago in the time period, we're going to see more ties to previous events in Chicago, uh, which I've made vague mention of, uh, especially especially a, 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 a hot air disaster uh, that happened in Chicago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, there's, like, there's, a, there's an elderly gentleman who helps Nick with his cars and stuff. Uh, his, son is, <laughs> his son is mentioned briefly in the book, you'll find out. And we're going to meet the son and what, he, what shape he's in right now. All little elements that will, you know, doesn't tell you a damn thing about what it's really about. <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, I think people will like it. It's, uh, it might be slightly darker than Black City Saint, and all things in the end tie to Nick Medea slash Saint George. So, awesome. so, so whatever story comes out, I guarantee there's going to be some connection to the legend. It'll be out uh, sometime spring of next year, so probably March, April, pro- hopefully March, but possibly April. 
Excellent. Well, we might just have to have you back on the show, Richard A. Knack, to talk a little bit about the book. Darn, I, I really don't know. Of course, I'd be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll twist your arm. <laughs> so you're you're obviously you're obviously very well versed on dragons. You've done a lot of work with dragons. Uh, is is working with a sort of real life legend, legendary dragon, different than creating your own dragon? Do you have do you feel like you need to uh, do it? the best justice you can do it since it's based on a legend? Well, fortunately, I was able to interview him. At, no. Uh, <laughs> I, um, the, fortunately, um, the dragon, well, a really, really very relevant part of the legend, uh, he gets a little bit of short shrift in, in his exact details, so I, I was able to flesh him out a little bit there. Um, you know, I, I love dragons, obviously. That's, you know, I have a series called The Dragon Realm, which is got more than a dozen books. I've done Dragon Lance. I've done Warcraft, which has a dragon or two. You know, and so, so yes, if I'm someone might say I'm a little hooked on dragons, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I usually, I try to find a space room and I try to make them, each of them unique in their own ways. You know, many of my dragons are very sentient. Some of them are shapeshifters. You know, they can have humanoid forms of some sort or another. Uh, they're good bands, bad ones. I'll even say indifferent ones. With the, uh, the dragon of St. George legend, I did want to try to, you know, give him that, uh, um, legendary feel even though he's under circumstances that aren't so legendary for him right now make no bones about it he's not a happy camper with nick <laughs> why would he be the man killed him and now he's stuck he's stuck in a worse position now so it, that makes it for another great element in the story which works very well with the chicago elements actually uh and i didn't realize to the depth of it until i un, until uh, i got well into the story and and I mean, you know, let's face it, the dragon fits right in well with all the, with all the, the gangsters and, and bootleggers and such in Chicago. So and it's, it's, it's almost better. It's, he's almost more, would be almost more at home in Chicago than Nick, who, who kind of is always trying to keep, he, keep himself away from everything so he doesn't become too attached to anything. I'd like to see Al Capone break out of prison with, on a dragon. Does that happen? <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be far down the road. We're, we're, okay. Okay. Al Capone is just is just coming into power in, in, in Black City Saint. He and Bugs Moran, uh, who's who took over for the Irish mob, uh, are just starting to come to you know come to blows. So although the the two mobs have been coming to blows for a while now, uh, but they're now the, but the leaders have changed basically. So you will see hints of of the gang wars throughout the books and how they're how they're spreading. And of course, elements of of it will appear. For instance, uh, it's it, it's not to, to to take away anything to to mention that. Uh, that uh, the main villain has some ties to the Irish mob in this in this book, which just adds another level of uh, chaos. Yeah, there's a character named Doolan who you'll 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 get to meet in there, who's a real nasty henchman type there. So, like I said every, everything just kind of fell, folded together. And uh, again, I'm I'm really happy that people have enjoyed it. We keep talking about the story, and it just seems to strike me as incredibly visual with the with the 20s, the Chicago, and all the fantasy elements combining. Just curious, is there are there any talks or discussions about um, maybe some media rights for comics or anything like that? Uh, I've been approached uh, on, on with some interest in you know you know is are other right these rights available? Are those rights available? Nothing nothing mm. concrete right now. Uh, would that could change? But uh, I have been approached, and people at least you know feeling the waters. Uh, I would love to see this, obviously, you know, and I think it's very doable, you know, uh, with, with even, even on TV with today's uh, technology. So, and, this, and let's face it, uh, there's a lot of Chicago that still looks like Chicago of that time period. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't have any trouble, really, uh, filming some good shots in, in the city. As far as, can we talk a little bit about the, your work for hire stuff you've done over the years? Because that's sure. 
pretty big element it, of it's a big part of, and I'm not, I'm, I'm very proud of it too. So it's a, it's a big part of my career. You're the, you're the first writer that's done this extensively, and I'm sure there are other. We we have a lot of writers that listen listen to the show as well, and uh, they may want to get into this kind of work as, as as well. How do you how do you sort of get into work for hire? And uh, do people approach you, or do you submit something to them, and then they say, "Yeah, this is great. Give us more." How does the process work? Well, at this point in my career, for the most part, they approach me. Um, if I see a, if I see something some uh, some project of real, uh, some uh, IP of real interest to me, I may you know put a feeler out there because you know I'm still a fanboy at heart with many things. You know, so, <laughs> so um, but for the most part, I, I'm approached by them uh, a lot. Of, as I said, a lot of times are people who grew up on my work, so it always makes an interesting aspect. But in the very beginning, and this is uh, this is a story I've told many times, but it's always cute to tell. Uh, in the beginning, uh, <laughs> there there were the words I put on paper. One of those uh, were sets of words was a book called Fire Drake, which uh, happens to be the first book in the Dragon Realm. Uh, and there was also another another writing sample. Uh, I I'd come very close to selling these to a couple publishers, but had not made crossed that line yet. Uh, I lived in Chicago at that time, and there was a publisher about an hour and a half away from me in Wisconsin, and I, I, this all fits into the work for hire stuff that we're talking about. And so I, I at a suggestion of uh, some other people, I took my writing samples and literally drove up to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, home of then TSR Incorporated, and I walked to the door and asked if I could talk to the editor. Uh, and you know, after they got a little over the shock of some idiot coming to the door, <laughs> talked to the editors. They they called one. They called the book editor, and he came out and actually talked to me. And uh, after after a little short discussion, he took my writing samples. Uh, said if I didn't hear from him in a couple of weeks, to give him a call. Uh, I didn't hear from him in a couple of weeks, so I gave him a call, uh, assuming that they had been filed in the circular file, as I say. And uh, he said actually that they really liked my writing samples. They were, but they, at this point, they only had the one series that they were trying to establish, which was called Dragonlance. However, they were putting together some anthologies, and they, and they thought it'd be a good idea if I was interested to submit to one or more of them. There were going to be three, so I quickly went out and read what was available in the series. Found it was great. You know, very you know very high fantasy, epic fantasy. Uh, the, first, the, the, the the second of the trilogies by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman who are both good friends of mine these days, were out, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I saw some elements that appealed to me, wrote up some ideas, and uh, I ended up uh, selling uh, three out of four ideas, meaning I was got in all three anthologies they had coming out. Yeah, that was my first work for hire. So basically, I, I came in off the street and, and got the work, and uh, those did so well. They actually asked me if I would do a fourth story, but, but my scheduling had gotten strange at that point because before they asked for that fourth story, they, uh, they, they said, we like the way you handle noble characters, honorable characters like knights and such. Would you be interested in writing the true story of uh, a character who's only a bit of history in the series right now? His name is Huma, Dragonbane. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're offering me a novel. Okay, fine, in a very popular series. So uh, I, I researched him. I, there were some contradictions, so I, I, argued, I, so I discussed those out with them, and they, they, you know, they gave me the okay on the, on the corrections I made. After a couple of attempts, you know, I tried one. I tried one uh, one storyline that they didn't like. I tried another storyline that I didn't like, so I cashed. I threw away that, and then I combined uh, some efforts from those two, and passed up the passed in the third one, and that became the novel that came out. And uh, happy to say that it did so well that it was uh, a hit on the New York Times list immediately. And uh, I got you know a lot of people really enjoyed it. Uh, I would have liked to have had three novels for the character, but. 
but uh, we we you know we condensed things so we we're able to get these the significant part of his life in in one novel and Leisure Huma continues to be uh, one that I, where I get e where I get emails and from people all over the world who've read it and continue to read it and as uh, as as uh, someone mentioned just recently, uh, it's often been the first novel in a fantasy that they've read, <laughs> and uh, and I have tainted them, and they've gone other fantasy novels. Did you ever think, when you were writing that novel, that this would be kind of a a cornerstone piece of your career that would be so foundational for decades to come? I thought it might do well enough that it would give me, you know, a uh, a foothold. Uh, in fact, uh, it's because it's, it, one of the writing samples, as I said, was Fire Drake. And uh, because Huma did well, I was able to sell that in a sequel to uh, an editor, Time Warner. And uh, that became the part, start of my own series. In fact, Fire Drake was published uh, roughly a year after Legend of Huma. And uh, Ice Dragon, the second book, came out about half a year later. Because uh, I, you know, uh, I jumped right into writing that one after Fire Drake. And so, um, I thought, like I said, I thought it would help. It, it, it greatly became a cornerstone, of, along with the, the Dragon Realm novels. And uh, I ended up writing 11 novels for the Dragonlance series, uh, including a sequel, Kaz the Minotaur. Uh, Kaz, he proved to be such a popular character that uh, he got another novel, Land of the Minotaurs, plus a short story. And, 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 I, and I ended up making the Minotaur such a popular race, they got their own trilogy, even though they, even though they originally started out as, as monsters who happen to have a very sophisticated society, which I never understood. <laughs> we have this great Roman, we have this great Roman slash Egyptian sort of empire, but we're monsters. And I said, no, you're, you know, so I showed, I showed why they could be, you know, they're actually just very complex, you know, a little, you know, a little bullheaded, but otherwise, you know, very, just very complex people. So, uh, but yeah, Legend of Huma paved the way and I'm always going to put, I'm very proud of the book. Uh, it went through a lot of, uh, baptisms by f uh, fire sort of such things such as, uh, you know, it, w it was longer. And then, uh, I, I, I got, I got a call at, my, at the last job I worked at. Where you know, and they said we need we need to send you the the galley proofs because um, we have four hundred thousand book covers and the book is too thick for the book covers. So we need you edit out about seventy five to one hundred pages from the hmm. from the finished book mm -hmm. <laughs> overnight. So, <laughs> which I did, and I so far I found there's there's one little error in the whole, well one little gap in in the whole thing that I edited out that of course one of my best friends was the first person to find it but most people have not noticed it so I'm not going to tell you what it is but uh, I, I'm very pleased how all the editing came out and and you know people continuously still say it's one of my favorites one of the first books I read you know I wish you could have done more for it you know blah 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 you know and and just I, I'm very pleased I mean like I said without my readers I wouldn't be able to do what I want to do as much. Have you ever thought about maybe like an author's definitive edition? It, it would be nice, except that uh, because you know through a couple through several moves I had, uh, and also the fact that this was written when uh, um, five and a quarter inch floppy disks were popular. <laughs> I love this. I was very young at the time. <laughs> Actually, I just I sold it just out of college, so I was fairly young for that. So a lot of that stuff was lost forever. That along with a couple of novels of mine too. So. Uh, which is a shame. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I would love to have a definitive one, but unlike uh, Margaret and Tracy, I don't think I, I have enough material that I could find to do a definitive. Okay. You were talking about Fetch being a popular character already, uh, kind of a lovable, dysfunctional werewolf kind of character. He's the cat's pajamas. 
<laughs> yeah. to, to use a phrase he would use. <laughs> I think I think you did the same thing for you know minotaurs in, in a way. You made a, a monstrous race uh, very relatable for many people, and I still think minotaurs should have more series about minotaurs. We have lots of stuff about vampires and werewolves. So I think uh, I'd love to see more minotaur stories out there in the world. I was gonna say I've always been pleased that I was able to do the minotaur wars for for uh, Dragonlance, and I, and I credit Pat McGilligan, my editor, for, for, for pushing for that. Very political-slash-war uh, uh, trilogy, you know, showing all the inner conflicts. I mean, it was very Roman you know, intrigue and stuff there with Egyptian Byzantine sort of you know, material in there, too. You know, you don't know who to root for half the time, because that person may be dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but uh, but yet you still know they're minotaurs. You can still you know they're not you know they may have a lot of the same elements of of uh, uh, diplomacy and intrigue as humans. But you know there's still that element. They're still minotaurs. Or you know and and that's that allowed me to give them you know to give them certain characteristics you know exaggerated characteristics that uh, helped make add further depth to the trilogy and. Uh, I'm really pleased about that, and I wouldn't mind doing more Minotaur stuff. I've obviously I've done I've done a little bit with Torrens and World of Warcraft, you know, their version of Minotaurs, which mm-hmm. have their own distinct ways. And if I could find a way to put such an element in some other book, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah, maybe you could put a Minotaur somewhere in the uh, in Chicago. <laughs> That's gonna be a hard one. I don't know. Gonna be a hard one right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about the various aspects of publishing on the show, from indie publishing to small press publishing to, to big five publishers as well. We even had uh, Michael J. Sullivan on the program to talk about his uh, foray into hybrid publishing. You've done various forms of publication, including self-publishing, correct? Yes. Yes. And depending on the project, you know, I've, I've you know, for instance, with the uh, Dragon Realm, I've had so many books of this series. It was, you know, I, I, you know I'm very grateful uh, Simon Schuster republished a lot, all of the old ones. And I added a uh, novel named Shade in there. They also uh, put in in print form some novellas that I had written over the years uh, for online. I was one of the first online people, basically, in terms of publishing, I think. Because way back around 2000, I had developed a series of six novellas that basically you know, moved uh, the Dragon Realm on from its original publisher, Time Warner. And uh, those went over very well. And like I said, those were republished by Simon Schuster. Uh, but then, you know, when I wanted to go with different directions, for instance, I needed to go backwards in time, and it just made more sense to do to the self-publishing with the Turning War trilogy, and uh, that seems to have worked out well with the fans, so I'm, I'm going to delve into more, and that, you know, it allows me to get my own pace, and it allows me to uh, do some things that I think, you know, some publishers would be not certain if they want to handle certain aspects, but that my readers tend to seem to like a lot, so, and like I said, you know, the readers are, are the final say with me, in my opinion, you know. And you know, so so yeah, so I like to do some self-publishing stuff there. Um, I had one, I had a novel called Dragon Mound where the publisher went belly up basically before the other books could come out. So I'm still working, I'm still trying to to work on the sequel to that one too, uh, and probably do that myself because it's kind of hard to start that one at a new publisher when the first book was out, but then the second one never made it because of the people going belly up. So it's just kind of easier if I do that one on myself rather than try to push it on somebody. Have you, have you tried doing uh, anything like Kickstarter or any other crowd crowdfunding or crowdsourcing? I've, I've, I've done a little bit of side crowdfunding. You know, I, I people can subscribe to my or to, to subscribe to my uh, Dragon Realm trilogies that I do. 
for instance, and they can follow along as chapters come out. And you know, that's that's one way. That's one way that they support the thing. They're in there, and they you know they get chapters as they come out, and then I, then I they at the end they get the whole book, you know, revamped a little bit, and then if, depending on what they paid, they'll get a eventually get a trade version, you know. So it uh, so that's worked out nicely. Um, you know that's 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 the uh, the self-published aspect that I like most that I can you know go on with certain story aspects that I know would be hard to do when you when you're let's see, let's see when you're on novel fifteen of a series, <laughs> of a series that came out in eighty nine you know so and and you know where 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 uh, um, Black City Saint that series you know is a little bit more individual novels. Uh, with the dragon realm, you've got this arch that goes through there, so it does it does help a little bit to make sure that everything is available in print for those people who are coming in late. Now you can still get the uh, original stories from from Simon Schuster in those in their omnibuses, but you know this way people have some choices in following it, no matter what time they came into the story. Have you noticed at all that you've had fans follow you from the beginning, say from? your earliest work to now with Black City Saint and they, they follow you to the different worlds you work in, such as Diablo or Age of Conan or World of Warcraft or Dragon Realm. You've noticed uh, you have this consistent fan base that they read anything you put out or do they specifically, you have your Dragonlance fans and then you have your Dragon Realm fans and et cetera. You know, it's, 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 you got, you got some of both. I got people who are, they're strictly my Warcraft or Diablo fans. I've got other ones who who love Dragonlance. I've got, and but I've got many who, thankfully, they were happy to try and read anything that I've written. I've got people who've, who've said I've got every one of your your stories since uh, 1987, you know, which I'm like, thank you. I'm feeling old, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, you get you, you get these people who says I was I was uh, I was 10 years old when I first read Legend of Huma, and now I'm now I'm teaching now I'm reading to my children. You know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> or my favorite, or my favorite, you know, the, you know, the, the attractive woman who comes up and tells you that she read your book as a, as a, a middle schooler. And I'm like, you know, okay, thank you. I definitely feel old now. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's been very great to, to, to have the people who come up and say, you know, uh, you know, I read this a long time. Even if they read, like, for instance, Leisure Human later on because of recognition of somebody, they, then they often will follow through with my other work. You know, they'll go, they'll, they'll read the Dragon Realm stuff, they'll, they'll look at my Warcraft stuff, uh, my Age of Conan, um, you know, they'll, then they'll jump into my, into my, you know, Black City Saint, and it, it's, it's just for fun. And also, with, you know, I, then I get new people who, you know, they may not have read my epic fantasy, but they, they see Black City Saint, they like the idea of it, they read it, they like it a lot, and I said, gee, I better give these other trope books a try and see how those are. You know, so I have a nice mix. I have people who follow everything, and I have people come in on this side or that side. Mm-hmm. And all, all I care about is if I, you know, if I can make most of them, you know, satisfied with the story that I write. Have you noticed any particular fan base is really passionate that you've run across that that are just really good about creating fan art or cosplaying as your characters or anything like that? Well, obviously, that if if I would say anything, I'd say that the books I did for Warcraft, they you know, the, the work for higher ones, especially you know, those are the ones where you, you really get a lot of people. If if you do a character that hits them right, then you get to get you get all kinds of people doing fan art and as you say cosplay. I've mm-hmm. I've seen several of my characters in fan art and and cosplay from that series. I've seen you know and some amazing well amazing well done ones too at conventions and. Uh, 
I've had people who show up. I've had people show up as uh, characters from my Dragon Realm or from Dragon my, or for Dragonlance. You know, I've seen some humans over the years. You know, uh, not too many chasms for some reason. <laughs> you know, just the the fact that people just enjoy it is you know more important to me. And uh, that that's that's the biggest thing. You know, and I've had a lot of artwork sent to me of Dragon Realm characters. Uh, I'm look and like I said, I've already discovered that that uh, you know while everybody lo- while everybody seems to really like Nick for that certain place, you know, for that certain uh, offbeat character in your heart, uh, fetch really taken hold on a lot of people, uh, which is which is great. I mean, and he's not just he's not just a comic relief because he's got he's got a dark side to him too, which you see you find out in the book. So he's a very he's a very complex character in some ways more complex than some others. Um, so. You know, those are, I'm already getting, you know, already getting people saying, I like this character best, I like that character best, you know, and uh, that's fine. I like that. I like when people are, are you know, are, are arguing over which one they like better in a book. So seeing that next year will be 30 years since your first story was published in 20, so 1987 to, to 2017. That's, that's 30 years, three decades. Yes, thank you. <laughs> well, no doubt that your work has been prolific and extensive and entertaining readers the world over. Uh, looking back, what would you say has been the most remarkable experience for you? And if there's anything that you would maybe do differently if you've had the chance? The most remarkable thing is still being around after 30 years of writing. <laughs> it's probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, you know, I've seen some really big names come and go in the meantime. You know, people had like that great American SF slash fantasy novel that everybody reads and then it's the only thing they ever write. And I couldn't stand it. I just, I just like to, I just like to entertain people. I like to tell stories. I may not uh, have a story, have a novel that does as fantastic as this one does or, but I have, I've, I've usually have a pretty steady crowd. I usually have a, you know, a good following and uh, that's enabled me to, you know, to keep doing this over the years. And I think that's, you know, that's amazing in itself. I've been able to go and do a variety of different uh, settings. One thing I would do differently is uh, when I was approached to do the sequel to Legend of Huma, Kaz the Minotaur, I had the opportunity to turn it into a trilogy. But because of some circumstances, I thought it would probably be better for my, my head <laughs> if I <laughs> just did the one novel. And I kind of wish I'd done the entire trilogy because I realized there's so much I could have done there, and I believe it would have gone over very well. And it probably would have actually advanced the Minotaur uh, career, you know, a lot better <laughs> for them. Uh, I think a lot of people would have enjoyed it. That's, that's my biggest one there, you know, that, uh, that I didn't uh, follow through on that one trilogy. Because early, early on, it would have helped cement certain things that I enjoyed. Uh, but overall, I'm... I'm pleased with uh, the turnout. I'm pleased with uh, how people have enjoyed the stories. Yeah, there's always little things you want to change in your career. I guarantee almost every author would say, yeah, I wish I'd done this instead of this. But uh, I'm very grateful. I've, I'm blessed with, with uh, apparently an ability to tell stories that, and people enjoy them. Excellent. Excellent. Any idea in what your official published word count might be? Got no idea. <laughs> millions and millions of words, I guess. So it's, uh, I don't even want to try to think about it. Then I might get a little too freaked out. You know, it's like, I've done that. <laughs> we'll see, was 50, 50 novels, what, eight, average 80,000? Oh, no. Per oh, or something oh, like that? Oh, no. Average 100,000. <laughs> 100,000? Okay. Yeah, because I, well, I have, most of my novels are close to 100,000. Several of them are over. So, uh, and then you got to count in the novellas and other things I've written, too. So, so I'd say, let's say 100,000 with, with uh, 50 novels, just at that that you're talking about. Uh, Five million words, at least, I guess. Am I multiplying? Five, five million words. Yeah. There's, there's a good title for some sort of biography. Five, <laughs> five million words. <laughs> My journey. 
<laughs> the oh, Richard A. Neck story. <laughs> have you ever uh, have you ever played any role playing games at all, uh, or have you just been busy? <laughs> You've been busy writing so much. Well, uh, to be honest, the writing will always be first. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. I played. Yeah. I uh, played D and D when uh, when TSR was still in Lake, actually in Lake Geneva, and Gen Con was still in Lake Geneva. Played variations with had had a long time DM on that. Played some other stuff on and off of different things. Got got very heavily into the world of Warcraft when I started writing that. I watched it go from this this small but relatively sophisticated game into this gigantic, very very sophisticated game. Following all the way through, I have scattered characters scattered all over the place that, and I I've, I've you know. A lot of more because I was researching stories, so I played a character like that and see how it works out for me. And uh, then I started another character. So you know, eventually, I think that some of them are probably wiped out by now. But uh, you know, they're just either that or people are going, "Why is that character still standing there after all these years?" <laughs> <laughs> but because because you know, I'm working on another character, that's why. Yeah, and I've done. I've played Diablo also. Um, I played a couple games. I won't even mention names because nobody would know what they are. But you know, I did some project <laughs> stuff with them. You know, looking into the Pathfinder stuff. You know, that's enjoying that. You know, you know, the the thing is, of course, you know, I've I've got situations that require me, you know, to write whenever I can possible. So, so I don't I don't get to expand. You know, get my my characters grow like like a lot of people do. So it takes me longer to get a character to do anything. You know, because. I when I need to get the writing done. <laughs> it's all. It's not just. It's not just what I love doing, but it's also my livelihood. You know. So. So you have to keep that in mind all the time. Have you ever seen any, like for example, with Black City Saint? Do you do you see any uh, inklings of past characters seeping into your current characters at all? Well, you know, I, I have to admit that Nick. Uh, he has some short. Cummings, obviously, and as you see in the book, Nick still follows what I believe. Is, I, I like to have heroes who are heroes in a sense, even if they're mm-hmm. not perfect. I, need, I don't want these god killer heroes. You know, I am so and so god killer. You know, <laughs> you know, my characters are pretty much human. I like to think mm-hmm. so. The one thing you'll see is I tend to like characters who are, as I said, they're the good guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they may have a lot of troubles going on, but they're the good guys. Um, and that's that to me is important. I mean, if I want to have all kinds of garbage and crap and bad guys, I can watch the news. So. <laughs> that's why I don't watch the news. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And how would you say since you've started your career in in '87 with your first professional publication, how has your approach to marketing and promotion sort of evolved since then? What what do you kind of do now to keep your name out there? Well, when I when I first started out, all I was cared about was like, oh, the publisher will handle all of that, will he not? <laughs> uh, no, uh, I did of course do book signings, and I'd walk in the stores and sign their their uh, stock too. If I wasn't able to do a book signing somewhere, uh, they usually appreciated that. Um, yeah, the book signings were more publicity than they would. You, you know, you're never really going to sell that many copies at a book signing. That's going to be like, oh, look what Chiffrons have made and all the sales now. It's there. It's there to bring keep your name out and the public. And so I was doing that. You know, then circumstances made made less possible for me to do the, the signing and stuff. But whenever I could, I would stop in stores and at least you know sign their stock. And now I, I'm actually I actually appreciate all the online stuff because you know I'll do interviews both written and podcast like this one. Uh, this is my first uh, my first uh, podcast interview with Black City Saint. Uh, everything's been written so far, so thank you guys. Also, you know I I, I have a web page, h you know www.richardaynack.com. I've got a Facebook page. I've got a pro page and a personal. Uh, if anybody goes look look for my pro my pro page, that's got the. That's got the the grayscale picture of me in there, and of course, I've got a couple of side pages that I've just put in 
like for the Dragon Realm and some other stuff, I tweet, you know, mostly about the stuff there, uh, or, or if I see an interesting article, I'll tweet about that. And I have uh, a mail, an email mailing list where I, where I have my, some of my more dedicated fans. You know, they get some information about what's going on. So, and you know, and, and if I get a good review, it, of course, like any smart author, you post that so people can see it. So, um, the internet has been great for helping me get the word around. I have to say that. Any con appearances or anything coming up for you? Regretfully, no. Um, again, I, I'm unable, because of certain circumstances, unable to get around much uh, these days. Uh, I suppose if I was, if, you know, if I'm asked to be a guest of honor, I'll, I'll consider that uh, mm-hmm. carefully. You know, they, they have to be able to enable me to do some things in terms of uh, um, travel stuff. Uh, but, uh, um, and there's no, you know, there's one local con, but unfortunately it always falls at a time when I can't be there. Otherwise it's very nice. It's you know, called glitch con. It's a really nice con, but, uh, for the most part, people are going to have to see me online. Well, that's good. Well, you're accessible on Twitter, Facebook, and your website at richardaknack.com. People can track you down. Just and- a few pieces, yeah, places. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, we're usually pretty, uh, you know, we're the grim tidings podcast. So we're usually pretty dark and grim. But yeah. I've been actually smiling the whole time I've been talking, talking, <laughs> which is probably the happiest I've been in it's a, a while. Grim smile, man. Yeah, it's a grim smile. So yeah, it's, def- <laughs> it's definitely great well, talking to you and, and learning about all this stuff about you. And Black City Saint is awesome. And I definitely recommend everybody to go out and get it. And then, if, and of course, we have the contest that we talked about earlier. So people should definitely enter the contest and get this book. Because it's awesome. I, I appreciate that, and I think it fits very well into into your uh, podcast. Uh, because you know, you, you you cannot basically trust anybody pretty much in this in the novel. There's everybody's got some some bits of history or bits of uh, reasoning that uh, I mean, I, you I, you only got to the second chapter, so I don't think you've met her lady yet. No, uh, no, uh, I've I've heard about her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Queen of the Birds. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, a very appropriate wife for Oberon. Yeah. Um, as it goes, her, she's called her lady because if you say her name, she might hear you. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so you know, this is not like I said. This is not a Disney Fairyland, no. So, I, like I said, I, when you guys asked me if, if I would come on, I, I was like, yeah, I very much appreciate. Uh, I'd seen a couple of things that you discussed uh, on, on Twitter and other places, so I was very grateful. Yeah, we are, we are more than grateful for you uh, hanging out with us uh, this morning, taking some time away from your writing schedule and whatnot to join us and talk about these things. Damn near fifty novels. 5 million-ish words, 30 years, definitely a legacy, Richard A. Knack, and we are privileged and honored to speak with you today, and you've got a a home here on the Grim Tidings (laughs) Podcast, Richard A. Knack. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You can find us online at facebook.com slash thegrimtidingspodcast, or on Twitter at GrimDarkFiction. Download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, and if you like this show, please share it and leave a review. Be sure to drop by our Facebook group, Grimdark Fiction Readers and Writers, for daily updates on all things Grimdark. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time. I don't want to do podcasting.